Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Derek, and I just want to echo and say welcome. Uh, if you are a first-timer today, we are so glad that you're here, and uh, we are in the middle of a series called Oh, the Places You Will Go. And um, the basis for that series is a letter that a famous Christian named the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. It's called the Letter to the Ephesians. You can find it in the New Testament of your Bible. And it's really been our roadmap through this whole journey of all these places that we have gone. And today, we are going to a controversial place. In fact, um, if you're here today and you have some problems with Christianity, um, maybe you're just still kind of taking a peek over at Christianity and you haven't kind of necessarily bought in, or maybe you have. But there's some things that, that you don't like that make you cringe. There's a good chance that maybe this is one of them. It is, um, it is the passage um, of Paul's letter, chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. And it has this very bad word in it. It's an S word, not the S word, but a different S word. And um, it's interesting because we're going to look at it in just a second. It won't offend you the first time you see it, but the second time you see it, uh, it may be offensive. It's, this is going to make sense in a second. But I, I just want us to stop and pray before we jump into today's <laughs> message, okay? Can we do that? Let's bow our heads. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for a chance to gather together today. And um, we're just praying, God, that, um, you know, if we have um, baggage or um, just negative stuff that's around this passage we're going to look at today, I just pray you would, you would um, help us to wipe that away. Uh, to put that to one side and to just uh, try as best we can and with our human abilities, with your help, God, maybe we can do this, to look objectively at this passage and see what might you have to say to us through it, God. Uh, and we thank you for your word in Christ's name. Amen. So here we go. Ephesians 5, 21 and 22 starts this way. First time you see the word, it's the very first word. It says, submit, that's that word, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now the one another, we're talking to husbands and wives, okay? So submit to one another, there's no problem there, okay? Sounds good. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, at that point, many, many, many people, male and female, say, whoa, hold on, that, now, now I have a problem. And if you're here today, and that second time you see the word submit there, you recoil, um, you actually have good reason to recoil. And the good reason is that this, this text right here, this one scripture verse, has been taken out of context, and it has been used, hijacked, by husbands and actually reinforced by church leaders that actually didn't have the insight or the guts to say what was really going on here and has been used to perpetuate all sorts of abuse in marriages, all sorts of horrible things have happened and actually been justified by Ephesians 5 22. And so maybe you've been on the brunt of that, or you know somebody who has, or you just flat out just have a hard time when you hear this idea of wives submitting to their husbands. Um, 
you're, you're probably in good company today because there's many of us that really struggle with this. In fact, that what's interesting is that there have been some churches, thankfully uh, not many, it's fewer and fewer uh, today, but where actually there has been this notion that you use this passage, and, and here's, here's how they've kind of said this, one of the things I've heard over and over, that a wife's holiness can actually be measured by how well submitted she is to her husband. Now, if you're a husband here and you thought that was cool, just don't even breathe right now. Don't, don't move, don't, don't, don't do anything, okay? I actually, a few days ago, I, I mentioned this in passing just to see what my wife's reaction would be. I said, Becky, um, did you know that um, they say that your, you, uh, your wife's, um, uh, a wife's holiness can actually be measured by how well she is submitted to her husband? Now, for those of you who know my wife, she's fiery, Okay. And what she said, I cannot repeat in church. Okay? Just can't repeat it. Um, So, um, the temptation here is to see the start of this passage and just to go, you know what? I'm so offended. I'm so horrified by this that, you know what? Let's just throw this out altogether. And maybe that's what what many of you have done. You just kind of say, let's just cut this out of the Bible and let's just keep on going. Um, we are going to try and resist that temptation and we're going to see, is there anything that we could take from this passage that actually has a kernel of truth? There's wisdom in there that can help us. These are instructions to husbands and wives. So can we unpack this text and see if God has anything to say through it? That's what we're going to try and do this morning. So um, let's talk about what this word submit is and is not. So let's start with what it's not. This Greek word for submit is the word hypotasso. And um, it is not the word that is used just a few verses later. It's not the Greek word for obey. That is found when it says, children, obey your parents. Um, that's not the word that's used here. This is a different word that's, that's rendered submit in the English. So it's not this like husbands, you know, you get your wives just obeying you. It's not something, it's not some license that husbands can use to control their wives, to order them around. This is actually a word that has to do with, this is something the wives want to voluntarily do. It's not anything that the husbands get to do to their wives. In fact, in the scriptures, it's very clear that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. In fact, in another instruction Paul gives to husbands and wives, he actually says that wives, your body belongs to your husband. But guess what it also says? That husbands, your bodies belong to who? To your wives. So there is this complete equality going on in marriage. The other thing that this verse does not give any husband liberty to do is anything against the will of God. If you are a wife and your husband is doing anything that is counter to God's will, you absolutely, positively are not instructed to submit in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So, what is this word submit, and what does it look like? Well, I said it's the Greek word hypotasso, which is literally defined as to put oneself under, to yield to, or as it's rendered here, to submit. Okay? Now, in order to help us to try and look at what, what does this actually look like, because that's really the key to this whole thing, um, I've, got, I've found a great resource 
This is a, a woman named Mary Cassian, who is a famous speaker and author. She's written several books on the subject of what does it look like to be a Christian wife in the 21st century. She also is a, um, a well-known seminary professor, and uh, she has a blog, which I like the name of. It's called Girls Gone Wise. Girls Gone Wise. And um, it was actually a, a soundbite on her blog that, that I loved. Because um, it just, I, I'm, I can't put words to what this looks like. I'm not a woman, okay? So I'm not going to try and speak. Now, this is her answering a question, okay? So you may not fully agree with this, and that's okay. But, um, but maybe some of this will resonate with you. So she's asked the question, what does it look like in your marriage to submit to your husband? Okay? And this is what she says. This is Mary, Mary's quote. She says, submission is not as much an action as it is an attitude. It can't be dictated by behavioral prescriptives. Do this, don't do that. It's, it's, it's not that sort of a thing. So, she says, what it looks like on an ongoing basis is that I am soft, receptive, and agreeable toward my husband. I respect who God created him to be as a man and support his efforts to provide godly oversight for our family. I respect the position of responsibility that goes along with being a husband and a father. Respect is probably the best word to describe what submission looks like in my marriage. Now, some of you reading that, you're saying, no, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I kind of get on board with that. And others of you are like, man, I still don't like that. I disagree. In fact, that word still stinks. Okay, that's cool. Um, if, if that's your view, if you're amped up right now, uh, get ready to get more amped up, okay? Because we got two more verses. So here we go. Verse 23 and 24. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, for some of you, you didn't hear anything past the word head. That was the last word you heard of that scripture verse was head. That's all you heard. And all that came to your mind when you heard the word head was like, okay, hierarchical chart. So it's like husband is the head and the wife is down here and husband is superior and wife is inferior. And instantly you were just visceral reaction to that. Like that's totally ridiculous. I'm not hearing anything else that's going on. Okay. Now, if you're doing that, then probably what you're doing is you're kind of putting your own definition of what head looks like and headship looks like on this text without even actually hearing what the text is defining it as. Okay? So can we just, for just for a minute, let's try and actually read the rest of this part. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, now here we go. Here's what it looks like. Here's what headship looks like. As Christ is head of the church, okay? Think about Christ, Jesus Christ, and his headship of the church, okay? Which says, it's his body of which he is the savior, okay? Now, when you think about Jesus Christ and the church, do you think of like Jesus ruling with absolute dominion and authority and the church is down here and Christ is up here like ruling with an iron fist and controlling is that what comes to your mind? Because it's not what comes to my mind. It's just not. What comes to my mind is Jesus Christ was the ultimate leader. Why? Because he was the ultimate 
servant. What does a savior do? A savior lays down their life for the one they are saving. Jesus Christ always put everyone else first before him unto death on a cross for the sins of the world. And so ultimately, that is what headship looks like. We have this, we have a savior who is willing to lay down his life for us. And that is what it means for a husband to be the head as Christ is the head. Now, some of you are like, hey man, that's, that's really great. You know, um, Jesus and what he did, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Laid down his life. He's the savior. You know what? Actually, I'd be happy to submit to Jesus. I mean, if Jesus was my husband, I, I will submit to Jesus all day long. That's beautiful, okay? But here's the thing. My husband, he's not Jesus, okay? Far, far from it. So somehow, you know, we're mistaking Jesus for my husband. It's, it's not going to happen, and I still have a problem with this word. Submit. So I had a little, um, a little time many years ago where um, I got mixed up with, uh, with, with, with Jesus a little bit. Let me tell you what happened. So... Um, so it was when um, my, my oldest daughter was like two or three years old, and we were, we were kind of just learning how to pray and all that stuff. And, um, and so she had just, I was trying to get her to actually say a prayer, get into the habit of actually praying herself. And so she was just trying to talk to God, and you know, God, and I don't even remember what the prayer was. But then I remember after the prayer, she looked at me, and, um, and she looked and she had something to say to me. And so she looked me in the eyes, and, um, and she was thinking, Dad, but what came out of her mouth was, God? And then she goes, uh, I, I mean, Dad, and kind of laughed. Well, that made sense to me because, because, you know, she's tiny, teeny little toddler. And, you know, I'm teaching her, you know, you got your daddy. And then, like, you know, when you're two years old, it's like, well, God's kind of like a super daddy, you know? Like, so I could understand how, how she made that little mistake. But what, what baffles me, what boggles my mind is my wife has never made that mistake with me. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. We've been, we've been together like half our lives. Not one time ever has she ever done that. And for good reason, right? I mean, I'm nowhere close. We don't live up to this expectation, and therein lies the rub. But here's what you have to understand, okay, about this whole submitting thing, is that the deal is that wives are instructed to submit or to give themselves to the one who is actually giving himself to her. You, you, are you feeling it? You're submitting to the one who's actually giving himself to you. So, um, now that maybe a lot of the wives or future wives or anyone in the house is unhappy, let's turn to the husbands for a minute. Okay, can we, can we, because I actually think it'll help to further illuminate these three verses we just looked at as we focus on the husbands. Now, what's interesting about the, the husbands is in this text, the wives get three verses, three verses, okay, of instruction for you. The husbands get eight, eight. All right, we kind of forget this in this passage, but the husbands are actually, Paul's going to let the husbands have it. 
And um, what you'll find is that in the first three verses, you really get the gist of the instruction of what's to be done. And then in the last five, it's using another analogy and trying to, trying to help to reinforce for these husbands that maybe aren't getting it, what they're supposed to do. So husbands, we've got a lot of airtime. We're just going to look at the first three because that's really the essence of the marching orders here. Um, and then we're going to look at the final verse, which sums it up for, for both husbands and wives. So here we go. We, we've, uh, we've, the wives are unhappy. Now let's talk about husbands. So Ephesians 5.25, it says this. Um, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Now, ladies in the house are going, seriously? We get submit and head. And they get love? Like, that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Look at me. What's, I'm, I'm easy to love and hard to resist. I mean, how could a husband not love his wife? That's like, this is feelings. That's just a response. Come on, this is crazy. Love? Really? All right, well, let's look at that word love because it's actually not quite so easy. So in the Greek, in the Greek text, there are multiple words for love. In English, there's just one. Whether you love ice cream, your dog, your wife, or whatever, um, there's only one word, and it's love every time. But in the Greek you got multiple words. You've got the word eros, which is a romantic love. You've got uh, phileo, which is a love between, it's a deep friendship. Both of those are, are based on our feelings, okay? Something is attractive, we're attracted to it. If, uh, if someone's scratching my back, I'm happy to scratch their back. That's, that's easy stuff. That's kind of like this being in love that we often associate with love, that it's this feeling thing. The word, though, in the Greek for love here, husbands love your wives, is the word agape. And agape actually has nothing to do with your feelings whatsoever. Agape is a choice that is made. It is an action. It's an act of the will. It's a decision that I'm going to choose to love many times in spite of my feelings. This is when you take a wedding vow. This is actually what you're vowing to do till death do you part. And this love is actually a sacrificial, selfless love. It's God's love described to us. So this is how God loves us. No matter what we've done, no matter what we will do, no matter what we bring to the table, God loves us no matter what. That is the word that is used to describe what husbands are supposed to do when it says love your wives. And it goes on to give us, to put a little bit more uh, meat around it to help us to understand, husbands, what it is that we are supposed to do, how we do this love thing. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So, the way that husbands are supposed to agape love their wives are the same way that Christ loved the church. And here are the key five words. And gave himself up for her. Okay, guys? You can circle those words, underline them. Gave himself up for her. That is what we are supposed to do, husbands. We are to give ourselves up for our wives. Now, that's pretty hard-hitting now. Imagine 2,000 years ago, okay? 2,000 years ago, when Paul was writing this, women, wives were considered property of their husbands, 
property. He is writing something that is so mind-blowingly revolutionary, you can't even believe it. Today we're like, oh, this badge just looks old school. I mean, this was so cutting edge, people would have just like, they probably would have just ripped the letter in half just even seeing it. This is crazy, okay? And so this is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to give ourselves up, husbands, for our wives. I remember... Um, I had to give myself up for my wife one time. Um, I remember when, when we had two kids, and then uh, Becky got pregnant with our third, and people who knew me really well knew that I really was kind of gunning for two kids. And so they're like, whoa, what, you know, what, what happened? What, what, why, 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 what's going on? How come she's pregnant again, man? Because you see, the thing was that they knew about me was that I, I'm from a family of four. So I have one brother, and... Um, and I just, there's something about four, you know, it's just a nice round, even number. Um, you go stay in a hotel somewhere, everybody gets a bed, you know. You can fit into a regular sized car instead of having to get the big, you know, SUV or minivan. Um, you, you can play man-to-man defense instead of having to go zone, okay. I mean, you know, it was just, it was a lot of appeal. We, we had one boy and one girl already, so it was kind of like, you know, we got one of each, kind of all works out. And so they would say to me, so what was the deal? Like, how come, you know, what's with number three? And I'm like, you know, she caught me in a weak moment and took advantage of me. (laughs) It's pretty much, pretty much what happened. But, but here, here's, here's the thing. Here, here's, here's the, the deeper thing that was going on. So, um, what, We'd had many conversations, Becky and I, and, and she was from a family with four kids in the family. And so, um, and she loves chaos. I guess that's why she married me. But she loves chaos and, and just loves like a lot of kids in the house and all that kind of stuff. And so she, I just you know, knew that she wanted more kids and, and it was something that I really wrestled with because let me tell you, I was good. I was good with two. You know what I'm saying? I was really good with two. But, but ultimately, what I came to realize was that, and, and you guys, I get this wrong so many times, okay? This is just like my one shining moment, all right? But this one time, I just said, you know what? I have to give myself up on this. I have to give myself up because this is something that, you know, this is a really big deal to her. And, um, so, and, and to her credit, I mean, this, she'd like to have like 130 kids. So, so she's also giving herself up and and you know it's it's this mutual serving one another and that's what we have to take away from this passage but ultimately what husbands are called to do when we give ourselves up for our wives let me just tell you what that means that means we give up our needs we give up our wants we give up our desires and we put the needs wants and desires of our wives ahead of our own that's what that means. That's what that's really, that's what Jesus did. That's what we are called to do. It is radical. I hope you feel a knot in your stomach, husbands, because that is crazy. We are to submit ourselves even unto death to serve our wives. So when it's a two-way thing that's going, and we're going to talk about when it's not in a second, okay? Because many of you, I know, you're like, okay, well, what about if it's just me? All right? But if you've got both of those things happening, okay, check this out. I, I got one more quote from, from um, Mary Cassian because, you know, she really talks about what, what does this look like in her marriage. Um, 
and, and I, I just think it's pretty good. She says, um, my husband takes his responsibility to love, that's agape love, sacrificially, to love me as Christ loves the church, seriously. I take my responsibility to submit to him, seriously. That means that I am cherished and have a voice. That means that he is respected and supported. I work with him and pull in the same direction. Some might be surprised that I believe in submission because my marriage displays a unity, intimacy, and mutuality that is deep, profound, and enviable. I am flourishing. I have what most women want. And it's a great paradox how it's been achieved. The way of faith is the way of paradox. Lose your life to live it. Give to receive. It's also a great paradox that honoring God's pattern for authority and submission in marriage fosters unity and mutuality. Now, you may not be totally tracking with that, but I think that that is a beautiful thing. And when marriage, when both husbands and wives are doing what they are supposed to be doing, how they are instructed, instead of competing for control, how often do we compete for control? Instead of competing for control, we're actually competing to outserve the other person. That is what an incredible marriage looks like. No, 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 honey, I got that. No, 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 let's do it your way. No, 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 I insist. Those kind of arguments are absolutely insane, okay? They're the greatest things ever. Have you ever had one? Ever. Try it. You probably won't even know what to do. One person will pass out. Just gone, boom. That might solve your problem right there. Who knows? But it's this two-way thing. And Paul really, um, he, he sums up this passage in Ephesians 5.33. He's, he's been hammering the guys, okay? He's been hammering. And he's still talking to the, the husbands in verse 33. But here you see kind of this, this sums up the whole thing. He says, however, each one of you, husbands, also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So he says, husbands, agape, love your wife. Wives, you can boil this whole submission thing down to respecting your husband. And what's fascinating about that is that is so core to who we are as men and women and the deep desires of our hearts, the desire for love and the desire for respect. Now, I want to show you a couple of clips and, uh, and we're going to kind of talk about each of those clips and what they tell us about the core desire of a woman and the core desire of a man. So let's go ahead and take a look. So, yeah, you can clap. That's good. So let's talk about those two clips for a minute. Let's start with the Jerry Maguire clip. Um, what was it that made those women in that best talking group ever... Um, <laughs> What was, what was it that made them gush over um, what Jerry Maguire was saying there? Besides the fact that it was Tom Cruise before he got weird, okay? <laughs> like, I was doing, he was still awesome, you know? Um, but what, what was it? Beyond, you know, the you complete me line, what's the deeper thing that's going on there? 
Yeah, it's the profession of his love. It's actually the fact that he is willing to say to his wife, you're not getting rid of me. Okay, I am willing to fight for you. And if it has to be in this awkward, totally uncomfortable situation around your whole talking group, I'm going to do it because you're worth it to me. I am going to agape love. I'm going to give up myself. I'm going to give up my pride. And here it is. And that's, that's what's so powerful about that scene. And it is so strong in the heart of a woman, that, that desire for that sort of love. So, so guys, here's our marching orders. Okay. We are to agape love our wives. We, just like Christ laid down his life and gave himself up, we are to give ourselves up. We're to give up our needs. We're to give up our desires. We are to give up our hopes and dreams and actually put our wives first before ourselves. Okay, let's look at that second one. This is very, very simple, okay? Women are complicated. Men are very simple, all right? Why, why, why do guys love that classic scene from Superman saving Lois Lane? You know why? Because we want to be the hero. It's pretty much, it's, I mean, what resonates with guys is we want to come in and save the day and get the girl. That's pretty much it. We, you know, the clapping when they're all cheering, Superman's got the girl in one hand, the helicopter in the other. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what's in the heart of every man. We want to be Superman. Are we? Easy. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for holding back. No. Okay. We, we get this wrong all the time. Okay. But that's, that's a desire in a man's heart is to be respected and admired. All right. Now, listen, this, you might just think, okay, you're just talking movies and whatever, but, but listen, there was actually a survey done, and the survey found that among men, there are two choices. You can either be loved but not respected, or respected but not loved. You can only do one of the other, guys. Overwhelmingly, like three quarters of the guys in this survey said, you know what? I would be respected but not loved. Respect Ladies, I don't expect you to fully understand this, and I know respect is, is a big deal to everybody, okay? It's a big deal to ladies and men, obviously. But respect just runs so deep in a guy. Blame it on our fragile male egos. I don't know what it is, okay? But we, we need your help with this, okay? Wives, future wives, if you're advising a marriage, a friendship, or whatever that you have, um, here is the deal, Wives, we, we need your help with this. We, we need your respect, respecting our desire to lead, respecting the fact that even though, you know, we're not in control most of the time. Husbands, we, we kind of deep down, we know this. Our wives are calling most of the shots and doing most of the stuff. We understand that. But just give us some semblance of a feeling like we're in control some of the time, okay? That's just, that's just what we're after. It's, it's, it's just so deep in us, this desire to be respected. So ladies... That's, that, those are your marching orders. And you see, marriage is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. When husbands and wives are both doing what God calls us to do. When instead of competing for control, we are simply competing to outserve the other person. Now, if you're here and you're like, okay, that's cool, but here's my problem, man. I'm doing all of it. They're doing nothing. What's going on? What's going on with that? All right, how do, how do I handle that? And I just want to let you know that there 
it's probably a very good chance that in that situation that you need to set up some clear boundaries, that there have to be some tough conversations done in a spirit of love and the right tone, all that kind of stuff, no matter if it's the husband talking to the wife or the wife talking to the husband. Maybe even some counseling or some sort of a third-party help with what's going on in your marriage. But here's the thing. Don't let the other person stop you from doing what God wants you to do as a wife or what God wants you to do as, as a husband. Okay? And that love and respect thing is so incredibly important and life-giving to a marriage. Now, you may be sitting here going, man, those are some crazy hard instructions. Like, this is tough stuff. How do we completely put aside our needs, guys? You know, how do we sacrificially just give and put our wives first? And ladies, you know, how, how do we defer, submit to our husbands? And, you know, how do we make them feel like, 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 you know, how do we manage that fragile ego and all that stuff? And what does this look like? And man, this is so difficult because we all, we both have really, really tough instructions here. Well, here's the thing. There's actually some good news. The key to making this thing go, to serving your spouse is by realizing that you don't serve for them. You are not serving your spouse for their sake. And you've got to wrap your mind around this. Because let me tell you, when's the last time that you went and you did something and you compromised or you put your knees to one side, right? We've, we've done this. Did your spouse like it and be like, woo, you're so awesome. Yeah, honey, you're the best. No, it doesn't work like that, right? We're not doing it for their applause. We're not. Let's check out whose applause we're doing this for. I want us to look at these five verses. I just picked just a few words out of each one. Did you notice how much this is woven into this text? It's amazing. Verse 21. So we submit to one another. How? Out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. As you do to the Lord. Verse 23. As Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24. As the church submits to Christ. Verse 25. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What this is all referencing back to is the very first verse in this passage, which said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that is really the key. I'm not serving. I'm not agape loving. I'm not respecting for my wife's sake. I am doing it for God's sake. And that's the key. If I'm worrying about the applause of my spouse, I'm doomed. But if I'm worrying about the applause of heaven, I have a fighting chance at this thing. And that is ultimately why we do what we do. So let's pray. And then uh, music team's going to come up and lead us out in the final song. Uh, Lord God, uh, we just want to say thank you for difficult passages. Uh, Lord, um, my heart just aches for all the times that, that a passage like this has been hijacked and misused and then um, all the, the, the stuff that's gone along with that, God. Um, I thank you for, um, for bringing a little bit more understanding to, to me this week. I hope that it has, has come across to, to everybody here this morning. And uh, God, ultimately, I just pray, no matter where people find themselves uh, in their relationships, no matter where people find themselves with this passage, I pray, Lord, that you would bring a little nugget of wisdom to the surface that you'd help us to see that if, if we can embrace a certain attitude as a Christian in our relationships, that our relationships will be so much better. 
Because ultimately, God, you're the author of all this and you're the author of us. So help us, God, as we submit first and foremost to you to figure out what submitting to one another looks like for each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.